Would you welcome Jason this morning? Well, we're talking about this quenched series Darren's been in, and, and I want to talk to you this morning about a foundational principle uh, that is, is something that's really a huge part of this quenched, you know, the idea of what does it mean to quench our souls, and, and, and when Jesus talked about, you know, we've all tried different things, we've all, you know, drunk water from an unclean well somewhere in life, right? And, um, but this is, this is foundational, and if you, don't, if you don't get this part right, you're, you're really going to miss the idea of quenched altogether. I had a, have a friend of mine, he, he built, he's a corporate engineer, he literally builds uh, structures, internationally at times even, and he's very, very smart. You know, Einstein said this, Einstein said that if you cannot explain something in its most simple terms, you yourself do not understand it. If you, if you, can't, if you can't explain astrophysics to a four-year-old, then you really don't understand it. And he's right, because you need to be able to explain things in its most simple definition. And I asked my friend one time, I said, hey man, let me ask you something. Everybody tells me all the time, I've heard all my life, the foundation of a building's the most important. I get it. But nobody's ever told me why. I mean, literally why. Didn't, he didn't even have to think. He said, well, it comes down to gravity. He said, gravity always wins, always. So he said, so the reason you spend so much time on your foundation is you're going to have to repair your home. For all of you, we sold our, our home that we've been living in Franklin 17 years. And for, for, if you've never bought a home, can I just say something to some of you? Or the next home you buy, just realize you're buying a used home. Okay, it's not going to be perfect. This lady freaked out, you know, because they saw a crack somewhere. Hello, it's 30 years old, woman. You know, um, it's not a new car. You know, so uh, nothing was wrong with it. And, you know, inspector's telling her that. It's just you would have thought, you know, she had seen Satan in the form of a brick crack, you know. <laughs> but anyway, so... So he said, you know, you're going to repair your building. You're going to repair it. Do you want to repair it in year five or year 50? Because if you don't get the foundation right, you're just going to repair it sooner. And it's going to be a whole lot more money. So get the foundation right. I'm like, that's awesome. I can understand that. Well, today I'm going to talk to you. I didn't put it on the screen because it's, um, it's just a lot of a story about a, a, a prodigal son I thought about playing James Taylor. For some reason, I make me think of, you know, Country Road, the song, awesome James Taylor song. Um, I, I don't know why I said that, but that, that made me think about playing that while I showed you that. But we're going to go to Luke 15, um, the prodigal son. Now, in all fairness, if you, if you don't have your Bible, I'm going to read it to you. But uh, in, in all fairness, this, this is really hard to get into just one sermon. I mean, I'm going to do it, but this is really like a, a a mini doc. It, 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 you, you got a couple of players. You got a, a dad. You got two sons, and you've kind of got some farm hands. And so, if you really want to get into this thing, you need to kind of look at it through all their different lenses. But we can't do that today. But what I love about the prodigal son is it's really every person's story. It's it's you know you got the the rebel, right? You got the person that just you know going off the deep end, and then you got the do the do gooder, you know. Mary Poppins, you know, on steroids or something. You got this person that's just never done anything wrong, and they got their whole issues with God. So let's read the story. Luke 15, verse 11. 
A man had two sons. Now, when I read that, it's interesting to me because as a dad, I've got two boys. So it's weird now that I read these stories and I'm like, this could be me. And you look at it different when you have skin in the game. What would I do? I began thinking that this week. The younger of them said to his dad, Father, give me the share of my estate that falls to me. Now, that's, that's pretty impressive to me because if I'm the dad, I'm going to say, hey, Hoss, I'm not even dead yet, right? And you want me to empty the 401k now? You know, just what have you been doing and smoking and listening to on Netflix? I, I mean... So, but he does, it's the irony, he does. He divides his wealth among them, verse 13. And not many days later, the younger son gathered it all together. He went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate, I love this, with loose living. That's just blanket for all of it. All right? Pole dancers, pole smash. It's awful. Now... When, well, it's the truth. I mean, he, gets, he points it out in a minute. The do-gooder is going to point it out if, if, in case the brother doesn't. He's going to make sure he knows what he did. Verse 14, so now he had, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurs in the country, and he began to be impoverished. He began to starve. So he, he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens. So he, he goes and gets a job because he wasted all his money. And this guy, this landowner, sends him into the fields to feed his pigs. And, and it says, he, the, the, the prodigal son, the young son, he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one was giving him anything to him. In other words, nobody was helping him out, couldn't eat, verse 17. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I, I, I tell you what, so he's, he's fabricating this story in his head, Right? Verse 18, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say, Father, I, I, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. Verse 19, I'm no longer even worthy to be called your son. In other words, I, I don't, I don't even, you don't even have to do that, Dad. Just make me as one of your hired men. Verse 20, so he does get up, and he comes to his father. Now, look, this isn't like he's crashed out on dreams in L.A., and he hops on a, you know, American Airlines Flight 72 and, and goes home and is eating dinner by tonight. And they, he didn't, they didn't have stuff like that. I mean, this, this dude's taken weeks, maybe months to get home. It's a long journey there. It's a long journey back. But he, he's, he does it. So he gets up, verse 20, he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his dad saw him. And he felt compassion for him. He ran, he embraced him, he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, hey, quickly, bring out the best robe. I mean, because you know he was dirty. And he stunk. And he looked awful. You know he did. He had no money. Been living in poverty. Blew all of his wealth. All of dad's wealth, not his wealth. And then I like what, what he says, bring out the best robe and you put it on him and put a ring on his hand. In other words, we're going to tell the world, that's still my boy. He's part of the family. Put sandals on his feet. 
bring the fatted calf and put it in the ground. In other words, get the rotisserie. We're going to barbecue something. We're going to eat some meat. We're going to have a party. And this had a little redneck in him. He's getting closer to my world. All right. (laughs) Verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and he's come to life again. He was lost and he's been found. This is the part where I would love to spend a lot of time and I just can't. Now, his older son was in the field because he's Mr. Responsible. And when he came and he approached the house, he hears music and dancing. Well, something's out of whack because this isn't normal. And he summons one of the the servants and he says, hey, you know, what could these things be? Verse 27, so one of the hired hands or one of the servants tells him, well, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf. In other words, we're, we're throwing a party. Verse 28, but he became angry. He became angry, and he wasn't willing to go in. And the way I see it, you know, he goes, he won't even go in the house. You know, I'm sick of this guy. I mean, what is it going to take, Dad, for you to realize this dude might carry your name, but he does not represent the family? What's it going to take for you to realize the extent to which this guy is nothing but a, a failure that follows a mistake? What is, and the dad's on the porch He's just listening to his son rant. And he says to him, your brother, verse 27, has come. Verse 29, he answered his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours. In other words, I've done everything. I'm Mr. Responsible. And yet you've never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, isn't it interesting that he calls him that? This son of yours comes home, has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, in case you didn't know, Dad. You killed the fatted calf for him? And the dad says in verse 31, son, you've always been with me, and all that's mine is yours. But we had to celebrate. And I love what the dad says, for this brother of yours, Don't you forget, boy, this is your family. He's dead. He's begun to live. Gosh, it's touching, isn't it? Because, see, I'm a dad. And when one of your sons goes off the rails, many of you have had that happen. Sons, daughter, go off the rails. There's nothing that could make me even, it hadn't even happened to me. Hopefully it won't. It better not. But, 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 but if it does, can you imagine the relief this guy sees when he finally sees his son walking back down the same road, right? Man, wow. I had to celebrate. It's every person's story. Some of you in here are the rebel, man. I mean, it's, it's funny. You know, we, we look at this country road, this window of opportunity, and this guy says, I want what I want, and I want it now. I don't want to wait. I'll figure it out later because that's how we do it. People that have real spines don't need all the answers, and we're going to go figure it out in the city, baby. I'm tired of the farm, right? And that's what he does, and it doesn't work out. And you have the do-gooder, you know, the, the responsible one. But he's got his own set of issues, too, because he's nowhere near close to the heart of the Father as he th- thought he was. I got a cheering crowd. I'm liking it. See, this is one thing that white people have never understood, okay? 
Have you, I get to speak all over the nation. And when I go to black churches, listen, I can go forever. Because they make you feel so good about who you are. I love it. I love it. Yeah, so what does he say? I want what I want. Dad knows what's coming, though, doesn't he? Isn't that the story of the gospel in a nutshell, that dad gives him what he wants? And it all comes back to the, to, the, to the garden. I want what I want. You can have it. That's the, that's the ball game, you guys. You learn, I mean, I'm 44, and this one thing I'm learning, I can do pretty much what I want to do. You know what? If I want to get fat and eat cheesecake, I can. Mama can't stop me anymore, right? I did it right? And I'm working my way out of the hole, slowly, not too quick. No, you can do whatever you want, man. I want what I want, and I want it now. But then something kind of happens along the way, and we've all had this opportunity, because for some of you, you, you don't want the loose living. You don't want all the rebellion. You don't want all the stuff. No, no, you just, you want your own way. I want to build my own business. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to listen to anybody. No, I'm going to, I never have like my mom, and, and all she's done is be, is, if my sister's doing this like her, I'm going to be the girl that goes and does her own thing. Or there's a, this, this whole window of opportunity looks different for everyone everybody in the room. But the difference is we've all walked the road. It's every person's story. But something in the way happens, it's every person's story. And it says that life happened. Look in verse 14. Now, when he had spent everything he had, he blows his money and a severe famine occurs. So he wasn't ready for that. Now, see, so think of it like this. Maybe you're a real estate broker and 2008 comes. Maybe you're an investment capitalist and one of the investors says, hey, I know I gave you 1.2 to get that fund, that hedge fund going, but I want it back. And you're required to give it to him. You got married, and everybody told you to stay away from that girl because she was straight crazy. Right? But you didn't listen to mom or dad, and you did it, and you got divorced. You didn't see it coming, but it happened. Things happen to all of us. You never thought in a million years you'd have an affair on your wife, but you did. You never thought in a million years you'd fall in love with another man, but you left your husband for somebody that ended up being a mirage and an apparition. Yeah, see, we do things. And it looks different for all of us, but the far country calls everybody just in different ways. So life happens to this guy. And then he gets in verse 17, and, he, and you've been here. He's just longing for a do-over. Can I, can I hit the reset button on this thing and start over? He says, I, he makes a plan. But when he came to his senses, oh, man, oh, man. We could spend a lot of time right there. When he came to his senses, sobriety this was not working out. He makes a plan in verse 18. I love the guy's resilience. I mean, he had a plan that didn't go well, but he's got a work ethic, and he, he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, and he takes ownership. I love that about him. He takes ownership, and he says, you know what? I'm going to my dad. I'm going to tell him, I, forgive me, and I'm going to tell him I sinned against God. I sinned against you. He, he's got a plan, but to me, there's this part of the story that is so beautiful. 
in verse 21, he, he, gets, he gets back going toward home, right? And he's got this sales pitch in his mind. I'm going to go see my dad, and when I do, I'm going to tell him, Dad, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven, and would you just give me my old life back? I mean, in fact, in fact don't even do that. Just give me, give me a job. He has this whole thing he's going to present to his dad. But when his dad sees him, what I love is he never even gets to the sales pitch. And the son said to him, Dad, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. I'm no longer be worthy to call your son. See, there was something else coming. Would you give me a job? Would you do this? Would you do that? Daddy doesn't even let him finish the sentence. Hey, y'all go get the robe. Get the ring. Put the pig in the ground. You know why? He doesn't even let me get to the pitch. You know why? Because the father's plans always better than yours. Always. Always. Now, what, what does all this mean about quenched? I mean, what, why, why would we bring this up about quenched in this story that we could go on with forever? I, I tell you why. Because at the heart of all of it, I talked to you about foundations. And I said to you, if you miss this part about foundations, you're never going to get quenched. And here's the foundational aspect of it all. What makes the story so beautiful is that the guy repented. See, it would have had a different ending had he not done that. He repented of his sins. He made a U-turn and he went home. And that's why it's foundational. Because, in, listen, the, the big problem we have in modern, modern evangelicalism is this. And, and it, it's, it infiltrates every church. And for a lot of you that didn't grow up in church, most of you probably didn't. This is what you can easily mistake being a disciple of Jesus for. You can mistake being a disciple for behavior modification. If I just don't drink and don't cuss, if I, if I just don't be, do this, I mean, and think about how we even raise our kids. I mean, most of you that even were raised in you know, a different generation, what, what was church? Don't do this, don't do this. Bless God, don't do that, that, or that. God just might kill you. Now, put on your Sunday tie and let's go have some fun. Right? No, man. I had church clothes. I hate church clothes. They were stiff. Right? I don't know where mama found those things, man. But they put starch in them or something. If you didn't if you weren't brought up through church and you started coming to church in the last 10 years, here's where you can mistake something. The gospel can sound and feel like just one big hug. Just, you know, just one big hug. Let me tell you, God loves you. He does. But let me tell you, he's not, his, his whole point in dying on the cross wasn't to be your BFF. It's, it's deeper than that, y'all. Here's what we learn about the gospel, and don't lose sight of this. When you truly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, here's what you know. The situation is far worse than I anticipated. It's far worse. But the outcome is far better Amen. than I could have ever dreamed and see, the, that's why we love this story, because the boy goes back to the dad, and the dad says, come on, I've been looking for, for you, where you been, right? 
It's hinged on repentance. Now, you've got to ask yourself a question. I'm going to give you, a, 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 no kidding, I'm going to give you a, a Bible study tool that's so simple that will help you. I'm not joking. It'll, it'll make all the difference in the world for you, and it's this. When you get stuck on a Bible passage or when something doesn't always make sense, ask yourself this question. Why does this matter to God? Why does this matter to God? Ten Commandments. You shall not commit murder. Okay. Why would it matter to God? You shall not lie. Why would that matter to God? Boy, you start asking that question, you're going to get insights into the heart of God you never dreamed. Why would this matter to God? Why would it matter to God that I repent? Well, we're going to cover that for a few quick seconds in this awesome verse about the prodigal. Because life does happen. At some point, you guys, we all get that, don't we? It didn't turn out the way I thought. The job didn't work. The marriage didn't work. You did have a daughter that went off the rails and you don't know what to do. You did everything right. You played by the book that the Methodist gave you. And still, she's nuts. Right? Life comes at us, man. And we all get broken dreams. And we all have these... You know, the thing I love about the kingdom of God is... We're all part of the solution, and we're all part of the problem. And we contribute and we add both ways. So why does, why does repentance matter in this thing of your soul being quenched? What does this story tell us about that? I'll tell you what it tells us. The first thing I pull out of this story is this, that sin separates us from the heart of God, and that's why repentance matters. Sin separates from the heart of God. There's one thing conspicuously absent from this story, if you hadn't picked up on it yet, and it's this. The son went to town, but daddy didn't go with him. Daddy didn't go. Daddy knew better. I'm not going down that road, son. Now, he didn't get invited, most likely. But let me ask you a different question. Do you think that Mr. Do-Gooder, the son that's always responsible, you think he never stared down that road? Sure he did. You think he ever wondered what it would be like to go club hopping? Absolutely. You ever think he looked at a woman with thoughts of maybe I should go apologize to her for what's running through my head? Of course he did. You ever think that a woman doesn't look down a road and imagine what life could be like and be different? Absolutely. All of us. It just looks different, but everybody contemplates the far country. What this boy understood was the far country left him short. It just didn't do for him what he thought it would do. See, here's the, here's the reality about sin the further I go into Jesus. The further I go into Christ, I learn something about sin, and it is this. It is not that I don't want to do it. It's just that sin isn't as attractive as it used to be. Because I understand I am going to reap what I sow. It's as real as gravity. Yes, and I've got to pull myself to a place where I come to my senses and go, I don't need to taste it in order to understand what it's going to taste like. I don't have to try it. 
We have boundaries. And the son left the boundaries because sin separates us, and it does. I look at the story, and I see that, that repentance demands that I take ownership, ownership of the sin. Now, let me tell you all something. Something happened. I've been doing this, you know, for about 27 years. Um, I didn't start preaching when I was four. I'm 82, can't y'all tell? I mean, I, I've aged wonderfully. I should be like some commercial for some Edie Bassano oil or something. I mean, it, you know. I, the, no, I started preaching when I was 17. I've been doing this um, for almost 27 years. I'm 44. And, and you know, he, here's, here's what I've, I've learned by watching how church is being done. There was this thing that happened in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and churches were, you know, pretty much what you would imagine. You know, they were center of society, and, and then something happened. Gen X comes along, and I'm taking major leaps here, of course, but, but in, 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 I'm Gen X, people born between 65 and 77, 65, 60, 80 maybe. Generation X was, was pretty much the first generation we could say that was disconnected from church because the, 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 the baby boom generation, you know, Know, the World War II generation, my granddaddy, uh, I, the, the gospel in America and, and didn't get passed down like it had in every other generation. And so then by the time Gen X rolls around, you know, we're even that much further separated. And in fact, sociologists do uh, report that Gen X is most likely the first generation where you could assume no biblical understanding of anything. They had no biblical worldview. Fast forward to millennials. Well, we all know they're straight up messed up, right? <laughs> yeah. No, but, so, but, but what's the truth? So what does churches start to do? Churches realize that people are separated from God and America has changed and, and people don't want to come to these churches that, you know, and all that. So what do they do? They make a seeker-sensitive movement, which has a lot of merit and it has a lot of good intentions and a lot of good things. But there was this line of thinking that came out of the seeker-sensitive movement in the 80s that progressed on into today. And you would hear people say this all the time. And, and I get it. I mean, I understand. But they would say things like, Jesus is here to heal your hang-ups. Jesus, uh, Jesus can take care of your bad habits. And that's all all true. I, I, it's, it's absolutely true. But I want you to understand, the Son of Man did not go to the cross just to help you be a better person. Right. He did not. It's more severe than that, friends. It's more severe. And what I love about the prodigal is he actually takes ownership of it, man. He takes ownership of the problem. This verse in 2 Corinthians, man, I've loved it forever. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's not just about moral reform. That's about a wicked nature that inhabits every person in this room. But we don't talk a lot about that anymore because it's not fun. I remember sitting in a class 30 years ago. I had this professor that's now in heaven. He was legendary. His name was Roy Fish. Um, Roy Jason Fish, which made me like him even more. He sounded just like Paul Harvey. Billy Graham knew who, jo who uh, Roy Jason Fish was, if that tells you this guy's clout. And there's a, we're all a bunch of preachers sitting in a room, and this guy says, um, Dr. Fish, uh, He's talking. He was a professor of evangelism, and he, and he was talking about modern church growth. And this is almost almost twenty something, twenty five years ago. And he says, 
Dr. Fish, but here's, here's my, my issue. How can we present this in a way that people aren't, that, that they can take it in, they can get their minds around it, and it doesn't just repel them? And, and he was asking a very good question. How do we make the gospel relevant to today's culture that's never heard it before and, and not offend them and, and break their heart? And Dr. Fish, man, wow, it was awesome. I mean, he had, dude, he had it set up on a tee to just come off the top rope like Ric Flair and destroy this guy, okay? <laughs> but he doesn't. And you know what, he, and this is what he, I'll never forget it. He said, I mean, he was like in his 70s. We were all in our 20s. And he's like, son, and he kind of walks over to him. And he says, I can scream it at you, or I can whisper it in your ear. But when I tell you, you're a sinner in need of a Savior, it just is never going to feel good no matter how you say it. It's the brutal facts. And this guy owns it. He owns it. And I love that. You know why? Because pain is redemptive. Is it not? Is pain not redemptive? Absolutely it is. Pain's about, I hate the classroom, but the education's phenomenal. Man, I, I grew up, listen, Pain, pain is why we, we learn through pain, right? I mean, you can tell somebody, don't pick up a cat by the tail, but unless you do it, it doesn't make sense, but you'll only do it once, right? Because he's going to hurt you. Pain will teach you things. I learned that from my daddy. My daddy spanked us, man. Now, Daddy didn't beat me. I didn't need a, I didn't need a, 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 I mean, I don't even remember getting a spanking after the age of six. You know what I got? Boy. <laughs> don't even need to finish the sentence, man. I know. I'll, I'll stop moving, whatever it is. I'll just stop moving. I got a chance of living. I got a chance of dying, but I had a better chance to stop moving. <laughs> and I grew up in the 70s, dude. Those weren't belts. Those were Mickey Gilly buckles on, on razor straps. They would hurt you. And I don't even remember daddy getting that out. Just, it was just reaching for it. I'd start fasting and praying, you know. My daddy was a firm believer, man, that pain and bad decisions always go together. Always go together. Yes, sir. Pain, and they were wonderful. You know why? i tell you why. Because by the time I got to high school, there was a lot of stuff I really wanted to do, and I didn't because my daddy would straight up kill me dead. I'm not talking about metaphorically either. <laughs> I mean, he would kill me dead if I did it, and death is a phenomenal deterrent. And I'm telling all of you that have small children here, spank your kids. <laughs> spank them. Pain and bad decisions. I'm living proof, man. And some of you, if you're, look, if you're a closet liberal in here, it's okay. It's, I know this is painful, but just hold on. It gets better. I, I know liberal people that spank their children too. You know, it just doesn't hurt much. You know, I had a friend of mine one time tell me, he's like, well, I spanked my son, but it doesn't work. I said, let me tell you something, Michael, you're not doing it hard enough. I promise you. Because I saw you give your son an option. This, no, I'm not making this up. I saw you giving your son an option one time. Does he, want, does he want a spanking or does he want 10 minutes of time out? And he chose the spanking. Let me tell you something. I never chose the spanking for my daddy. Ever. Are you kidding me? 
My daddy wasn't mean. He didn't have to be, man. Pain is redemptive. Yes, it is. What does it say? He came to his senses. We all got to come to our senses, don't we? We do. It's not easy. God made him who knew no sin to become sin. What I find in this story about repentance is that you learn that repentance does quench your thirst. You know why? Because the only way to freedom is through repentance. It's the only way. And and you guys, I mean, the the guy had to make a U-turn to go home. He had to go home. He had to come back to dad, and dad was waiting. Now, the, the brother was waiting too. Told you. Gosh, I just want to go off on this guy for so many reasons, but I'm not. We don't have the kind of time to talk about do-gooder. But he had to go home. Repentance is at the core of the gospel. And the world hates that. See, that's what pop culture hates. Pop culture has said forever that Christianity is the reason. Have you ever noticed that on CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, just keep going, all the major news networks, you ever notice that every religion out there is cool and even somewhat hip? Except us. You know why? Because they all say that it's not inclusive. That's a lie. That's a lie. Yes, it is. Jesus said, whosoever comes, but you're only coming one way. You don't get to recreate the story. God wrote it. You didn't. And you bow to it. It doesn't bow to you. So guess what? That's why the world hates that. We want justice for Enron. We want justice for BP when they spill oil into the Gulf. We want justice for people that aren't into tolerance. That's ironic to me. It always has been that the people that are all about tolerance are the most intolerant people I've ever met in my life. You, you got to do it their way or they hate you and call you stupid redneck. But, but, <laughs> so, so, but the, the, no, the, the truth is everybody says the gospel isn't inclusive. Yes, it is, but you're only coming through the cross. Because let me tell you something, friends. We talk about this awesome tomb, and we sing about this God that's awesome and beautiful, and that's true. But let me tell you something. You don't get to the open tomb. You don't get to Sunday unless you go through Friday. You're never going to get to Sunday unless you go right through Friday. It ain't going to happen. It's not the plan in the heart of God. It's not. 2 Corinthians, Paul's talking about this ministry we've all been given. And he says, we beg of you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Repentance, you have to go through it, man. So why, now why would I bring this up? All right, I want to tell you something. Because a lot of you didn't, you, you didn't grow up around much of a theological background. And it's easy to somehow miss some of the core foundational principles. So in case you did, I want to say something to you. And I want you to hear me. The whole point of Jesus walking this earth and dying on a cross and coming out of a grave wasn't just because so that you could be a better person. That's a byproduct of it. But the point was so that you would know the truth. And Jesus said the truth will set you free. 
So the reality comes down to you. Listen, listen. You need to be able. You need to be able to point back to a time in your life, not a day, not a certain hour, but you need to at least be able to point back to a season in your life where you said it was right there that I repented. Sometime in my high school senior year, uh, it was right after we got married, man, I, I, I knew uh, something was wrong. Now, now look, there's some of us like me, there's some of us that can actually take, I can take you to the spot, cousin. September 2nd, 1990, about 12, 13 p.m. after a church service. Back in that part of a church, we had a little center aisle, and, and I, I went up to, a, I didn't go to church. I wasn't raised in church at all. Um, it's a really funny story, which I won't go into, about how I came to Jesus, but it was incredibly uh, a commercial contract. Uh, I needed a preacher to sign off on, on, to get a scholarship. It's a long story. So I go up to this preacher and I say, hey, man, well, I, now I'm halfway into it, and I'll just tell you. So, so I, I, my dad's a, a retired PGA golf pro, and, and there was a PGA scholarship. And on the line, it said religious affiliation, and I put Grace Baptist Church, Tallahoma, Tennessee. And, and uh, my daddy was reading, and he said, hey, well, you're not a member of Grace Baptist, son. I said, what are you talking about, Dad? And that's where we go. That's where Mama goes. Yeah, but you, I mean, now my dad wasn't a believer either, but he was an Eagle Scout. God and country badge, they know stuff. And he said, well, you have to be baptized and then you'll become a member of the church. And I said, Dad, it's stupid. I, I mean, I, I never heard that in my life. So he said, well, go ask the preacher. Guess what? I did. The next Sunday. And I got thinking, what, looking back, what was I thinking? Because I literally went up to the, this preacher that I'd never met, man. And, and I said, hey, uh, my name's Jason Cruz. My, my uh, grandma's Claire Coleman. She goes here. Um, I mean, I'm name dropping. I have no shame. And, and I said, uh, my daddy said I had to be baptized to be a member of a church. And I don't want to lie on this scholarship form. And I probably need to, this is exactly how it went. I probably need to be baptized anyway. What do I need to do to get that done? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because it's so tragic and selfish to the core. Well, he said, Let's sit down a minute. <laughs> oh, bless his heart, what he thought of me. And so, 10 minutes later, he's telling me about this Jesus. And I literally remember looking Jerry and I at 17 years old and saying these words. I remember it like it was yesterday. I said, Jerry, if I'm hearing you right, you're telling me that even though I believe in God, which I do, and I believe there is a Bible, and that I believe there was Jesus. You're telling me that even though I believe those things are true, I could still go to hell when I die. He said, absolutely. You could, Jason. And because he loved me enough to be honest, I remember saying back to him, that's not good. And he said, no, it's not. You want to change that? I said, How? And he told me about repentance. See, for many years, I told you I've been preaching a long time, and I have, and for many years, you know what I used to say to people all the time? You need to ask Jesus into your heart. I stopped saying that about five years ago. You know why? And it's not word games. Let me tell you what I say to him first. You need to repent of your sins. Because before you can believe, you must repent. You must come to a holy God and you must say, it's not just bad habits. I'm a sinner, but I need a savior. 
And see, that's where the freedom comes in. That's where your soul does get quenched. That's where you realize that like the do-gooder, it wasn't in all the rules. It wasn't in just following all the things they told you to follow. It's where you realize that the far country looks awesome, but you know, it didn't lead me where I wanted it to lead me. I'm coming to this place now where I realize it starts with this simple foundation that Jesus died not because I needed to be a better person, but because I was going to go to hell if I died. And I was. And so are you if you've never repented of your sins. And I would be a colossal failure, not as a preacher, as just a brother in Christ to you, if I did not tell you the whole story. And we so often in today's church circles, we leave repentance out of it. It's like a baseball game that only goes to third base. That's not how it was designed. For you to score and go home, you got to come home. You got to come home. Now, what do you have to do to do that? Be reconciled to God. Repent, man. It's not magic. Let me tell you something. The day I gave my life to Jesus, I did not hear music. I, the skies didn't open. In fact, I, I, I'm going to be, I'm always honest, I'm going to be transparent. I didn't even really feel different. And I'm glad because I, salvation was never based on an emotion. It was based on a promise that if I meant it, God would do the rest. If we are faithful to confess our sins, he is just to forgive us. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Amen. That You can do better. Aren't you glad? Amen. Nobody in here ever been. Is anybody saved in the room? That's what I'm wanting to say. Let me say it different. Nick's saved. I told Nick to come this morning if he wanted to get saved. I did. Nick's one of my good friends. I said, I'm preaching tomorrow if you want to be saved. Come on. And he, and he showed up with a coat. Um, Nick's a missionary. He can take me pointing him out. In fact, he really wants to preach right now, but I'm not going to let you. Um, no, the reality is, you guys, we got to come to Jesus. How do you do it? And this is how I'm going to close on you. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to be up here. Not, we're not going to come down. You're not going to have to sing a song, but Moe's going to, Jeremy, Jason, people are going to be around, all right? If you want Jesus to invade your life and change you, to put you to death and raise up a new person, he'll do it, and he'll do it today. You don't have to leave the same way you walked in. When I came to Jesus, I want to tell you something. I didn't know the first verse in the Bible. I didn't even know there was a New Testament and an Old Testament and a dividing line between the two. I pro- that, it is impossible for you to be more gospel stupid than I was. <laughs> but you know what I did know? I was at the end of me. And I was a sinner. And I needed a Savior. And that's all I knew. And it worked. And it can work for you today, too. I'm not going to tell you that Jesus is going to heal all your habits because sometimes you just keep doing things. I'm not going to tell you that he's going to make all your problems better. He won't. I'm not going to tell you that he's going to answer every one of your questions because he won't, but he will answer the most important ones. And you can know you have a home in heaven, and you can do that today. So let's pray. With your eyes closed for just a minute, you find your own words. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. You find your own words, and you tell God you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And he'll meet you there. I promise you he'll meet you there. If you do want to talk to me or Mo or 
anybody at the end of this service, Jeremy, there's, there's Kim, there's people here, I think, today that will just be happy to wait around for you. Lord, I come to you this morning and I, I want to say thank you. Thank you that you are the good, good father that looks down the road waiting to see when the child's coming home. I thank you that you're the good, good father that loves us enough to tell us the truth. That's love. That's not neglect. That's love. So I thank you for that, Lord God. I ask you, God, that I, I know, I know by the law of averages that in this room there's a young boy, some young girls, there's some grown men and grown women they're looking back right now and saying, I don't know that I've ever actually repented before a holy God. Today, God, I'm going to ask that they do that, and they do it now. Now. Thank you, God, that you love, your love, you know what, God? Thank you that your love is complete. You don't want to leave any area uncovered. And so thank you, Jesus, that you did die on that cross because our sin was so wicked. Because you knew the brutal reality, and the brutal reality was that we were going to spend an eternity separated from you. But at the same time, God, I'm thinking you came out of that grave because you're the one that showed us there is life and there is hope, and I can do it. And thank you, God. Thank you for that. Thank you. We, we could sing all the songs we want. We try every Sunday. We, we've tried for thousands of years that so we will never fully be able to do it and to say it and, and give it justice, but we say on this side of the river, thank you. Thank you, God, that your love never fails. Let me pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.